Okay, good morning, everybody. Hope everybody's well. Hope uh, everyone's having an incredible morning. A little bit of a ba different background today. Those who are not aware, we have a Shabbat every every Thursday night at eight o'clock. This is the background for it. Sitting in a different location than usual today, making sure that no matter what's going on in the world, we are together. And I appreciate that. I appreciate. I appreciate being together. I'm not sure what just happened. Hold on a second. Okay, hopefully that'll work. We've been talking a lot about this idea of, yeah, Andy, if you can send that a link, that'd be awesome. We've been talking about this idea yesterday about this idea of our, our mouths. This is a circle back to something that's earlier, but we have to sort of get into the space. And the reason is because we're in like a very spiritual time. And when you're in a spiritual time, you have to tap into the spiritual powers. And the spiritual powers that have been taking place that is within us are really the use of our mouth, the use of our words. What I say matters. What I say needs to have integrity. When I say I'm going to do something, I need to figure out how to do something. Now, the challenge is that when you live into this world, it's hard because you have to say things sometimes that aren't 100% true. Someone says, how do I look? You know what I'm saying? You may, you may be like, okay, you got to say something nice. When you see somebody, you have to step up and act sometimes in a way that doesn't feel natural because they deserve it. Your kids deserve the best of you, even if you're not in the right mindset your spouse, your employees, all of that. But when it comes down to those moments that is what we would call the speech that is the integrity of who we are, if we, if we can't go to a place and say that what's going to come out of my mouth is my bond, what's going to come out of my mouth is my contract, then we are always subject to doing things and doing things require a distance and a certain amount of effort that we don't know if we'll have towards the end. If you've ever had this in your life, I did this last night. I had the chance to speak to this great group of kids. They're called the Shavet Glaubach Fellows. If anybody knows the Glaubach family, they created this fellowship for these all-star advisors in an organization called NCSY. It was such, it was so great. I mean, it's, there's few things that are more inspiring than being able to engage with college students that are highly motivated, ready to give. Like it's awesome. Awesome. Young people that want to give to the world is Nothing like it. Something like it. And I was explaining to them this concept, this, is, this, this concept in the spiritual world where, and for those who've been with me on the trips, you know that we're going to, we, we, we talk about this, this misconception that we have in which, in which we think that the way our ability, the way we work in this world is you've been given abilities or you have abilities and if you have certain abilities, then 
you have the responsibility to share those. So if someone happens to have a lot of money, it's his response or her responsibility to give charity. Like that's like basic. Like if you don't even think that, then we're not even, we're not, we can't even have a conversation, right? If someone has the ability to, to share wisdom, you should share it. If you have the ability to, um, to provide in any which way and time and resources and whatever the things you have, it is our responsibility to share those things. And so the way we, we look at the world, we see the world as following the following progression. Responsibility uh, ability leads to responsibility. Those that have should take responsibility for those that don't. And that makes sense in the physical world. That was what, that's what we, we would call in Yiddish being a mensch. You take responsibility if you've been given the gift of doing something. But in the spiritual world, it doesn't really work like that. In the spiritual world, you and I have a power source that is beyond what we can ever dream of. It's be, it's, it's, we, can, we can't possibly ever understand what we have within us. It's too much. We have a piece of the infinite inside us. Have you ever grappled with infinite? How could we ever know what that's like? We, all we know is finite. We don't know what infinite feels like, looks like. There's nothing that we know that could give us the frame to understand what it's like to have or to possess or to interact with that which is infinite. But it's inside us. We have things that are inside us that we can't possibly understand. Like what we walk around with every day is a nuclear power plant. Even though the outlets at our, so to speak, that we plug into seems like it could, it could barely get beyond like a charger to our phone. And if you pl plug too many things in the whole thing, the power circuit blows. It's because we're not plugging deep enough. The game of life, as we know from the show, and if you ever heard some of the things that we've been trying to say, the game of life is not being great. It's revealing great. Now to do that, you have to flip the equation. To reveal the greatness that is within you, you have to flip it. And you can't live in the world of ability leads to responsibility. You have to live in the world of responsibility leads to ability. And if you look at the greatest leaders, let's take in all, in all levels, but let's just take Jewish leaders. You go through even the Bible and just track it down all the way to modern day time. And you ask yourself, like, what, what do they all have in common? What does Moses have in common with Miriam with, that has in common with David, which that has in common with, um, you know, someone later on in life that has in common with the commander of the brigade that took over the old city that got us back the Western wall that has in common with, you know, the grandparents that came, what, I don't know, the millions of leaders from communal, national and familial leaders. My family has leaders to them and I'm sure yours, yours does as well. No one else knows it, but your family, but you know, the people there are real leaders. They've given you something. What do they all have in common? It's not background. It's not education. It's not language. It's that they all took responsibility before they were sure they had the ability. All leaders do the same thing. They take responsibility for something. 
And when they take that level of responsibility for it, when it clicks into their heads, they're not sure they can deliver on it, right? It's like having a kid. Remember when you remember the first time we brought that kid home from the hospital? You remember that moment, right? Nothing ever prepares you for that moment. When they hand it to you at the hospital and they go, here you go. And you go, wait, I could take this thing home. And the nurse is like, you had it, you raise it. And like, there's no background check. Like just, no, like, no. you know how I feel it? Bring it home, you close the door, just you and your spouse. She could be a nurse in like, you know, the pediatric ward of the greatest hospital. There's nothing like it. That kid, that kid, that kid is in your house. The best part about parenting when, when they're little is that the bar is so low, right? The only goal is like, just don't kill it. That's it. Just keep it around. I don't care if it's dirty, if it's crying, as long as it's breathing, we're winning. And there are millions of parents out there that are feeling this concept of, I don't have the ability to do this. I remember that was the first few weeks of my, my son. I, I, don't, I remember being like, I, I, I cannot continue. Like, I'm not going to make it. I, sleeping, eating. I didn't know when he was sleeping if I should wake him because it was past three hours. I don't know if he was spitting. I, I, I was, a, me and my wife were basket cases. I mean, basket cases. We were reading this book, uh, What to Expect, and then we had no other book, and we were trying to find a new book. I was like, how am I going to survive my life with that little thing? I, I, I won't, I'm not able. I remember those moments. I'm not saying I'm better now than I was then, but that's the feeling of responsibility before ability. It's the feeling of I can't do this, but it has to get done. And what happens is at some point, you tap into a piece of yourself that was always there. This isn't just parenting, it's everything in life. It's friendship, and sometimes it's going through challenge. When, when faced with challenge, it's, there's no way we can get through this. There's no way we can survive this. There's no way I could live without this. And what happens is, is that when, when we're pushed to challenge is we have no choice but to dig to a deeper place, right? It's like if you can almost picture it, like the plug, the outlet doesn't really work at that level. There isn't enough energy to provide me what I need to produce. So either I'm going to collapse or I'm going to have to find a deeper power source. So if you could almost like picture what we go through, we just dig deeper. We dig deeper. I have a friend of mine that unfortunately went through a pretty serious tragedy. It should lo aleinu, as they say, no one should ever know this tragedy that this family went through. It was devastating. Everyone should just be protected. Devastating. And a local psychiatrist came by to visit them to pay a shiva call. And I was talking to the dad and the dad said to me that the psychiatrist brought them to the back of the house for a minute, like in the kitchen area and said, listen, people are going to offer you as many drugs as they can, because this is what you're going through is beyond um, what you can handle right now. And I'm not saying, you know, don't whatever. He's not, wasn't judging anything or anyone. He was saying, 
during these weeks, you're going to get a lot of opportunity to ease the pain through chemicals. Legal, one, whatever. He said, as hard as it is, resist. Because your body is now adjusting to it. And if you push through in the beginning, you will learn, you will teach yourself how to deal with this. And if you don't, you're going to end up relying on these things. One of the most, I think, greatest drug issues we have in the country that I don't know if people are talking about it or not. Maybe they are. I don't see it as much. Is especially in athletes, but in all people that recover from very painful uh, surgeries and injuries that are appropriately taking pain medication, but that along the way have to now get back to dealing with their pain by going to a deeper place and the medication is providing the opportunity to not. And then there's an addiction to the medication so that when the pain sort of goes away physically, that feeling that they were getting, the synthetic is too much for them. I have a friend of mine whose life basically was turned upside down because of it. Went through a serious surgery and ended up taking whatever the medication they gave him. And thank God he's okay now, but almost put his entire life in jeopardy. Now, everything is with doctors, you know, do what you got to do. But, but the message is the message, which is life demands sometimes of us to go deeper, to be more. And we don't want to. We really don't want to. We say we want to, but we don't really mean it. We're regular people. We're human beings. Who wants to voluntarily go through pain? Who wants to voluntarily put themselves in an uncomfortable situation? Who wants to not rest and relax and eat? Who's pumped for Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is the greatest day of the year. You're one-on-one -on -one with the creator of the universe. Who's pumped for that? Who's pumped for that? It's amazing you'll see the amount of flurry of activity that takes place pre-Yom Kippur and the flurry of activity that takes place pre-Sukkot. They're very, very similar holidays. Very similar holidays. Sukkot, which is a holiday coming up now, really is where we're inviting the divine presence into our sukkah, into our life. Yom Kippur, we're climbing a mountain to find God. But they're both an engagement of God. Pre-Yom Kippur, there's a flurry of, of, of content that comes at us. You know why? Because we need it. You see almost nothing by Sukkot because nobody needs it. Because you're going into a holiday where basically you have, you have, you have a command to eat and drink. And everyone's like, whoa, no one needs to be motivated for that. Why? It's because who wants this fast? Who wants this pray? Who wants to do things that are uncomfortable? We're not robots. We don't look at the risk reward analysis and be like, of course, why would I not want to do Kippur every week? Can you imagine what my life would look like if I get to do Kippur every week? I'm going to be an angel. I'm going to live a life where I am attached to the divine sword. I'm going to be a nuclear plant. Are you kidding me? It's because it's uncomfortable. And those that are willing to engage in the uncomfortable, to take the responsibility 
that's where all the benefit is. That's where all the greatness is. I see this in companies all the time. People are always fetching about not making enough money, not doing, and when it comes down to taking responsibility for jobs that nobody wants, you can't find anybody. Because who wants to do that stuff? But the responsibility is where the greatness lies, not the ability. Ability is what happens post-responsibility. Ability is what happens after you jump in the deep end because maybe in a pool, you need the skill. In life, you need the power. You'll get the skill, but you need the power. And the power source is there. You just, we just can't reach it. We can't reach it because we're not going deep enough. We don't have to reach it. It's not required. So since it's not required to reach it, we won't. That's where we get our strength from. We get our strength from responsibility. You see this all the time with people. You look at some people, they do everything. Some people, they're having a hard time doing anything. And you're like, what? Oh, they're those people. No, they're not. They just were trained for whatever reason through their neuroplasticity, maybe their parents, maybe whatever it is. They were trained to just push and push and push and push, obviously with common sense. But to take responsibility for things and to push themselves past what they think is possible and to live in that space long enough until it becomes possible. The way I always picture it is it's like you push towards something and as long as you hold that long enough, your soul will naturally provide the energy for it. But either we don't push there or we don't hold there. Well, how do we do that? And that's where our mouth comes in. Because if our mouth is our bond, then by just declaring I'm going to do something, now I am forcing my body to go somewhere. That's how we direct our lives. By marrying the inspiration with the articulation and then forcing ourselves to be responsible for something that was not otherwise we were otherwise responsible for which then now forces ourselves to be uncomfortable which then taps into the power source that was always there i will continue this because this is i want to explore this process with you a little bit more i can't believe tomorrow's what's tomorrow thursday already wow we still got to talk about what we're doing next week but we're not there yet we'll continue this one thing before I end, I had a great question last night from Donna. She asked me a very important question that is so critical. She said, if you're fasting, yes, there is a concept of the post-fast coffee, but how do you avoid the, the fasting headache of not having caffeine? So for those of you who are engaged in any period of time without coffee I'm, and you, because of a fast, I'm going to give you the secret that changed my life. I got this from a man named Moish Kranzler from Teaneck, New Jersey. If you ever fast, and you're a coffee drinker. The last thing you do before you get to the fast is drink coffee. When I end my meal that prepares me for the fast, six, seven o'clock or at night, the last thing I do is a double hit of coffee. And that puts caffeine into your system, which then lasts a little bit into the fast. And by the time you're halfway through, you're halfway through. Remember, if you're a coffee addict, your brain knows when it gets its coffee and it's looking for it. But if you have caffeine in your system, when it's time for your brain to look for the coffee, it gets easier. That's a little tip for those of us that are in that space. Just wanted to put that out for everyone who may be thinking about it. 
of everybody else, including those who are thinking of this as well. We got to talk about this more. Think about this a little bit today. Think about today this concept of responsibility leads to ability. Think about in your life times in which you took something on that was beyond you and it ended up working out. And just try in your head to go through like, okay, scared, I did it. Hold on, I thought it was going to fail. Okay, then I ended up doing it again and again. Now I can do it. Just in your head, watch the progression. Because that will help understand where we're going, which is this process of greatness. But the center point, the center spoke of the whole thing, really, is not your effort. It's your mouth. It's your words. Okay, we'll continue. Thanks so much, everybody. Have an incredible day. And with God's help, I cannot wait to see you again tomorrow.